2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Has the Delta variant peaked? Or will the millions of kids who've gone back to school start getting sick and reverse any near term hope of getting COVID under control? Do you know that the fact that we don't know it could go either way actually helped give us another explosive rally? Dow jumping 507 points as it would gaining 1.21 percent, NASDAQ climbing 1.04 percent. That's two fantastic back-to-back days. Now, the first day of the rally was all about Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, and Xi Jinping, the president of China. Powell basically said, don't worry about the Fed. He's going to keep rates low because of the pandemic. At the same time, President Xi blinked on this Evergrande, the troubled real estate titan that owes a staggering $300 billion. He's not going to let it become China's Lehman Brothers. That comparison was always pretty tenuous, though. The Chinese government is not like the U.S. government. Shocker. If they want to protect their economy without rewarding bad behavior, they can just bail out the business and send the executives to a re-education camp. What drives me nuts is that we had tons of bearish commentators coming out of the woodwork, making the case that China was indeed headed for a Lehman moment. And if that happened, their careers would have been made because Lehman Brothers almost collapsed our, whole, collapsed our whole country. But now that it hasn't happened, everyone will just forget anyone made those predictions. Their credibility won't be hurt at all. And they'll be keep invited back on the air every time China's down. I am the only one who will even remotely savage them. But I am, alas, Jimmy Chill, so I have to be careful, too. Uh, j Powell skated by simply because he didn't throw a ticker tape or parade, unlike what the press wanted, while President Xi gave Evergrande's 1.5 million creditors the bailout they deserve. But the bears keep misjudging the federal and the Chinese governments. The Fed has been adamant that they'll stay accommodative, yet nobody wants to believe them. They can't understand that Powell doesn't operate like his predecessors. As for the China bears, they're acting like we're dealing with a normal country that cares about free markets or the rule of law. Sorry. That said, today's rally in the U.S. was all about COVID. Right now, I'm reading Uncontrolled Spread, the book by Dr. Scott Gottlieb's all the time in the morning about the pandemic. I love it. The first point I'd make is that it's amazing we didn't have a sort of Spanish flu 1918 moment given how poorly so many of our leaders and health agencies handled themselves and how ignorant they were and in some cases still are. The book is incredible. But second, it's amazing how good we are now at controlling the virus. Our vaccines work. They work so well that if you get COVID after being vaccinated, you probably won't even know you have it. I think most of these NFL guys, they find out of the test, they're feeling great. They're ready to play. These days, nearly all the hospitalizations and the deaths are made up of people who refuse to get vaccinated. Now, it's tragic that anyone's dying, but at least there's an easy way to choose life if you want to. I think it's crazy that some people would rather take their chances with the virus rather than with a couple of shots, especially when we've got all these ultra infectious variant strains. However, Gottlieb points out that we're also getting better at keeping death at bay for those who refuse to choose life. Merck's also getting closer and closer to a treatment that can stop the virus in its tracks once you catch it. We're no longer hostage to the Keystone cop docs that Dr. Gottlieb chronicles. And end, I'm not sure whether COVID's peaking or not. Doesn't really matter what I think. It's, what matters is while the cases are coming down, it could come back. I know that Southwest Air just said they're, they were peaking, but they've been wrong about pretty much everything. OK, so I'm taking them with a box of Mortons. The other day, Disney said that Delta's slowing things. Uh, it didn't sound like the worst was over. Darden's positive quarter might indicate that COVID's peak, but that's only because Longhorn Steakhouse, the number two division, is doing well. If you drill down the actual Olive Garden numbers, the number one division, they suggest we're still not over the hump. By the way, just a little, just a, you know, a, a public service here. The Longhorn Brunch is a killer. And their Bloody Marys... Top 10 outside of New Orleans. Now, here's the greatest news about the pandemic's impact on the economy. Because we can't tell whether Delta has peaked, we got to give Jay also known as Jay Powell, also known as the Fed chairman, the benefit of the doubt when he says that he's got to hold off on tapering, especially since business has obviously slowed over the past few months. But on the other hand, there's the chance the worst is over, which means we can buy the travel and leisure stocks, the retailers, the oils, not to the banks. They'll all do better in a post-pandemic world. And guess what? That's exactly what moved the market today. In short, Pandoras, Yeah. Best of all possible world situation gets even better. We keep hearing about supply chain problems, right? Some of that has to do with our ridiculous port situation where firms just understand they could build factories in Mexico or even the United States and deliver goods more cheaply than if they're importing stuff from Asia. Believe me, they better start getting serious. Or did they go to college to get stupid? What really matters, though, isn't the lack of port capacity at all. It's the lack of workers. And that is COVID's fault. At the start of FedEx's absolutely miserable conference call, just a total tearjerker, management told us, quote, our Portland, Oregon hub is running with approximately 65 percent of the staff needed to handle its normal volume, end quote. All right. Now, let's think about this. Sixty five percent. Well, that means packages have to be scrambled all over the place to avoid that hub. That's the typical supply chain problem that we keep hearing about. It's a nightmare for so many businesses. Now, let's think about this. Where are the other 35% of FedEx's workforce in Portland? Did these people just disappear? Were they abducted by aliens? No. I bet they either have COVID or they have unvaccinated family members and are therefore afraid of going to work. They fear getting it from others. Maybe they aren't vaccinated themselves. Although if the virus has you scared enough to miss work, what the heck do you think the vaccine's going to do to you? Okay, let's go back to Powell. He's famously insisted that inflation is transitory. What if everybody at the Portland Hub gets immunity, either because they've been vaccinated or because they've already caught COVID. Why wouldn't it go back to 100%? At 100%, the system works, costs come down. In other words, if the Delta variant has peaked, then many of these supply chain issues are going to work themselves out. So why not be like Jay and let it play out? Why can't we just listen to Jay? I mean, what? I like Jay. I picked on Portland because Oregon's been pretty good about getting people vaccinated. They're all about 60 percent. But most of America's manufacturing is located in what we used to call the Sun Belt, where vaccination rates are much lower. Real lie. You know what that is? That's real live free or die territory. Oh no, Live free and die territory. I'm gonna kind of put the. Uh, Oppositional in there. So what if J Pals wanted something? What if the Delta variant really has peaked? Won't those people go back to work? Can we use that rubric to explain labor shortages across dozens of industries? Turns out it had little to do with unemployment benefits and everything to do with being fearful of the pandemic or not wanting to go to work because you thought you'd catch it from someone or because you caught it. So China goes off the radar screen for 24 hours because President Xi had to bail out Evergrande's customers to quell potential unrest. And Jay gets some newfound credibility because we can't tell if Delta's peaked or not. The bottom line, the absence of two negatives indeed does equal a positive, which is how you got this magnificent rally. I want to go to Sam in Colorado. Sam. Jim, how are you? Sam, I am doing so well. I got to play. I'm starting Quest Watkins this weekend. What do you got going?
3: Well, you know, Jim, whether reopening or stay at home, whether the price of steel is high or low, one thing seems to remain constant in this economy, and that is the threat of cybersecurity and the need for better software across the board.
4: My question is, I know right now we've got CrowdStrike, we've got Palo Alto, right? We've got Okta, we've got all these cybersecurity names, but there's one that stands out more than the others, and that's Sentinel-1. It appears to me as though they're using uh, specific machine learning algorithms, which differentiates them from CrowdStrike, which is more of a responding to an attack. Well, I say, I know CrowdStrike,
2: George might disagree with that. Look, I said no one's the most expensive, but I do like it. They came on. I was prepared to dislike them. I really was. I was prepared to hammer them. I was prepared to be down there giving them the business. But I couldn't because they were really pretty good. I I also like Palo Alto because Nikesh Aurora is a star, a star, a rock star. Let's go to Bob in my home state of New Jersey.
3: Bob. Hi, Jim. This is Bob in New Jersey.
2: Um, My question is your thoughts on Zoom. Uh, Very briefly, they reported a quarter that was really good. uh, Meet the numbers and
3: sales over a billion dollars. After that, there was some discussion about slowing
2: down the next couple quarters. Right. And the stock went down 50 points in one day and it did drop 17 percent. Um, because they did uh, say there'd be some slowing. Now, in full disclosure, my stepson works for Zoom. Uh, I always have to mention that because people say, why didn't you mention it? Uh, But I I think that Zoom has to finish this acquisition and has to do more acquisitions and uh, and become more of a full-service Zoomer, because right now it's too niche. And when something's too niche, it doesn't go up. All right, today's rally in the U.S. was actually about COVID. We don't know whether Delta has peaked. But there's also a chance the worst is over. In short, it's the best of both worlds for the market. On Man Money Tonight, regulatory changes in McCall McCall have crushed the stock of very high-profile casino operators. But could the Las Vegas rebound be enough to push Win higher? You have asked me for Win, and I am delivering. We've got the CEO. Then not long ago, I was ready to give up on the whole oil and gas industry. But now it seems like some of these producers, they got a new head on their shoulders. And I'm going to tell you which ones you should buy. And Engage Smart hit the public markets with a bang today. So could the company continue to engage investors and customers alike? I'm going to talk to the company's top brass. And yes, I am indeed playing three different Eagles against the Cowboys in fantasy this very weekend. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
0: At indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
2: What do we do with the companies that are getting absolutely hammered by the Chinese Communist Party's newfound commitment to uh, communism? Last week we started hearing that China might start targeting the gambling industry in Macau, which is like the Chinese Las Vegas, except much bigger. Macau is a huge business for wind resorts, so the stock got hit with a wave of downgrades and price target cuts. And that's why it tumbled from 103 at its highs last week to 83 and changed today, although it had already been down a lot from its peak. We own this one for the Chapel Trust, but between the Delta variant and China potentially cracking down on what they see as bourgeois decadence, it's been a tough ride. And as I said in my Today's Action Alerts club call, I feel like a fool. However, at this point, I think the negativity could be baked in, but that just made me talk in my book because I'm so down about it. You can easily make the case that the market's currently valuing Wynn's Macau business at close to zero. I think that's absurd. So let's take a closer look with Matt Maddox. He's the CEO of Wind Resorts. Hear how his business is holding up and where it's headed. Mr. Maddox, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's cut right to it. Matt, I, I have never had as many questions put to me once people heard you were coming on. But the overarching question is one that I hear from the Bears, which is, is Macau now worthless to win? Um, you
4: know, Jim, that, that question is uh, it really makes no sense. If you look at what the government put out in its consultation report, which I think a lot of people either haven't read, including Mr. Chanos, or have a lousy translation. It's a 25-page report, and over 20 times they talk about the health and the stability of Macau, that that is their focus as they re-regulate these new licenses. And just this week, in the public consultation period, the government said that they're going to take into consideration the overall employment picture of Macau coupled with the return on investment for shareholders when thinking about the renewal of the Macau license.
2: Well, let's talk about these re- uh, potential renewal concessions. This is from June of next year. People are thinking that you may not even get renewal. I think that's fanciful. I think this is not in the cards and it looks good for you. Uh, I, I totally agree. Again, uh,
4: 20 times in the document that they put out, they talk about the health and stability of the industry, and that's what they're focused on. We employ fifteen thousand people there. We're good corporate citizens, and uh, you know I have a very, very uh, bullish
2: view of the future of Macau and and what we're going to see going forward. All right, so. Uh, again, a new one that uh, someone said to me today is take a look at what Morgan Stanley's saying about October Golden Week. And I said, well, listen, Matt can't talk about f- forward stuff because it's quiet. He can't do it. But Morgan Stanley did put out a data that indicates that you may be sold out for upcoming Octo- uh, October Golden Week, which is October 1 to 7. Can I confirm that Morgan Stanley knows what it's talking about? <laughs> so Golden Week in the past has always been quite strong. Um,
4: and, you know, we, we have seen a lot of demand coming in. And it really just depends on the COVID situation and, and what's going on. Uh, Macau will be just like Las Vegas. As COVID uh, comes under control and, and, and it has been effectively in China and the borders open, you know, I do believe that it's going to be a very, very busy place. Trying to predict when that's going to happen uh, is really hard, but it's clearly going to
2: happen. And the demand for Macau is is insatiable. But, how about these rules that they put through, and these are rules that they're doing not just against gambling but for COVID 19 and the possibilities these elongated quarantines have that cut down on traffic in the month of August because those exist? Yeah, it, again, in the short term, uh, that has clearly cut down a lot on traffic, and
4: uh, you know they have a zero tolerance COVID policy, and they 've effectively kept COVID at bay in the entire region. And so, you know, that that has continued and we're going to see how this plays out. I mean, I, I believe that uh, the vaccination rate in China is somewhere in the mid to high 70s. So when you think about that, you think about the upcoming Beijing Olympics and you think about the direction of travel there, uh, it feels like it's going in the right direction.
2: All right. So let's let's discuss uh, United States. But I think that you're basically getting Macau for free, given the robust nature of how the U.S. is doing. Your company's valued about $9 billion. I would imagine if you tried to build all these properties, it would be substantially more. So let's talk about the flow in our country.
4: Um, yeah, I've been at Wynn for 20 years, Jim. And just like I said on the second quarter earnings call, we've never experienced the type of business that we're seeing right now in Las Vegas and in Boston. It's extraordinary. And we're seeing that without international travel. Just this week when it was announced that if you you can come to the United States if you're vaccinated, we had reservations from the UK spike from effectively zero to hundreds a day. People are wanting to come to Las Vegas and have a good time. And how about NFL? What has that done for your bookings out in the future? Oh, it's terrific. So Sundays are really strong now. Allegiant Stadium is amazing. And, you know, just again, going back to Macau, when the government talks about diversification and uh, they want to see more sports and tourism, if you think about what that's done for Las Vegas, it's been terrific. The Golden Knights, the Raiders, you know, all those things really add to the overall experience for the customer.
2: All right. Now, uh, I know that uh, Steve Wynn October 2015, and a legendary conference call, took on the Chinese government, and reminded people that the Chinese government wanted wants Macau and wanted Wynne in and wanted the jobs and have been a great partner, and they always will, even though he was tough. Maybe the toughest I've ever heard of anyone to talking to the to the Chinese Communist Party. And it worked, and they listened because they want the jobs. Has anything really changed from 2015 when they listened to Steve Wynne?
4: You know, when I look at uh, what was put out in that report, and they talk about the enhanced supervision, um, really what it's saying is they want the operators to be strong with strong balance sheets. They want you to have the appropriate corporate social responsibility programs. That's exactly what we just put out in our ESG report here in the United States. Any business has to focus on not just its shareholders, but its employees and its communities if it wants to be successful in this world. I think that what's going on in Macau is not punitive, it's practical. They're moving
2: to a really highly regulated environment, just like we experience here in the United States. So this is not some crackdown on rich people who gamble in the end of an era where they think that there should be a prohibition on gambling?
4: Again, the health instability is the main focus uh, in the government's report for what they're looking for for the industry and the continued diversification. I think that is logical and practical. That's why Las Vegas became what it is. It continued to diversify and add new things for people to do. So to me, the Macau government is going about this in a very logical way. And they're in consultation with all of the operators to ensure the health, not just of the industry, but of the community itself.
2: Well, and I got to say it, I know we got to wrap things up, but this company's lost a huge amount of value for something that doesn't sound like it's all that important to the even the the EBITDA going forward Um, again you know Macau is the only large-scale
4: gaming uh, market in all of Asia nestled right in one of the most populated fastest growing wealthiest regions in the world That's a great place where you want to be. And I feel very good about the steps that the government is taking to ensure that the operators are focused not only on the shareholders, but on their communities and on their employees. It's what's going on in the United States.
2: It just makes sense. All right. Well, I'm sure the bears are saying. Uh, Kramer, you're a suck up and Maddox, you're a liar. And the answer is, I've known you for a long time. You're anything but. And I got to tell you, as much as I like Steve, you know, I couldn't be a suck up in that unfortunate period. I'm not going to mention because I revered him and I revered him because my dad revered him because we're from Philly. I like what you had to say today. I don't feel so bad about my position. And most important, the fact that you came on, you didn't need to come on. You could have punted. But you did. That's right. Thank you Thanks so for much. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you to Matt Max, CEO of Wynn Resorts. Coming up, Kramer makes order from Madness in the oil patch.
1: Find out which crude stocks are worth a booyah next.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express.
1: Start planning today at AARP.org moneytools
2: money tools. At the beginning of last year, I was ready to give up on pretty much the entire oil and gas industry. Chevron and Exxon had just disappointed me. Major asset managers started divesting from fossil fuels. Younger money managers seemed to regard these stocks with the same contempt that they held for the tobacco industry. And often for good reason, because the firms didn't seem to care all that much about the environment that they were spoiling. But beyond that, the oil industry had no discipline. Every time the price of crude rallied, they'd start drilling like crazy again flooding the market with excess supply, which in turn pushed prices back down and caused a cutting of estimates. Two months later, the pandemic went worldwide and and the price of oil collapsed. That's why I always say it's better to be lucky than good. Spot prices for West Texas crude even went negative last April because there was no storage space left. They were literally paying people to take physical delivery of the stuff. But as the global economy recovered, something changed in the oil industry, something big. This is no longer a drill baby drill business. It feels like the COVID downturn has taught the exploration production industry how to be disciplined. I've never seen it like this. Rather than pouring all their money into production every time oil prices go up and, of course, borrowing money, now they're holding back on drilling and instead returning that capital to you, the shareholders, via dividends and buybacks. And it's a remarkable thing and it's meaningful. Yep, I think we've got a new dynamic in the energy space and a positive one. On Tuesday, I saw a great piece from RBN Energy. uh, The company frequent guest Rusty Brazil runs and is entitled because he likes to start with songs. Where has all the capex gone? Like, you know, where have all the flowers gone? e investment down despite rising prices and cash flows. e investment down despite rising cash flows. Listen to this. This piece makes some great points. Ever since the price of crude collapsed after peaking near $100 in 2014, it just hasn't been able to rally precisely because these guys had no discipline. Whenever it looked like oil would rebound, producers would turn on this bigot again and ruin everything. For example, when it rallied above $70 in 2018, capital spending and rate counts immediately doubled. Thanks. No wonder those prices didn't last. Now, though, it looks like maybe it's the pandemic. They've taught the whole industry a, a major lesson. According to RBN, my favorite source of fossil fuel analysis, the big producers still haven't gone back to the profligate ways. Of the 38 companies they follow, capital spending budgets are actually down 3% versus last year with oil, much higher. They're spending less than 60% of what they spent when oil broke out above 70 in 2018. Yeah, as long as they don't flood the market with new supply, and Saudi Arabia does the same thing, something they're currently doing, they're holding back because they're so busy paying big dividends with the Ramco, then oil prices can go higher. In that case, you know what? Holy cow. We've had a bunch of them on. I really like them. They've changed their ways and you should be willing to own some of the newly disciplined oil producers. So I'm going to go through my favorites. Many of them we have had on because you've been asking me saying, Jim, give me the best. Simply the best. Tina. Tina. First, we've got the variable dividend plays, and that starts with Devon Energy, DVM. Now, this one came back on my radar when I realized that Devon was the best energy performer during the first half of the year, largely because they were the first producer to implement a variable dividend plan where they gave their investors a cut of the profits rather than just a set payout. Hey, by the way, that's a big reason why this stock won't quit. You know was the best performer in today's session in the entire S&P 500? It has led the S&P 500 probably more than any stock I know this year in each individual day. You know why that is? Because this, Devin, is the brainchild of one of the smartest people I have ever had the pleasure of riding a helicopter with. That seat. And by the way, that is not a low bar. I've ridden a lot of helicopters. This is this is the brainchild of CEO Rick. Muncrieff, okay? I want you to remember that name. He took over as CEO in January after the company merged with WPX Energy. When we last, remember that was smaller and yet he got to run the company. We last spoke with him in August. Rick, you're invited back on right now because that's how smart you are. And he explained that the company has a whole new mindset. Rather than borrowing money to drill like crazy when business is booming, he wants to reward shareholders. The stock's given you a quick 31% gain since that interview, including a terrific 7.75% move today. Even after this run, I I like it up here because based on the way they calculate the variable dividend, it works out to be one of the best yields in the S&P 500. Hey, how about this one? Longtime Kramer fave pioneer, Nat. That's what we call it, but it's Pioneer Natural Resources. It jumped on the variable dividend train in February, about a week after Devon, with a plan to distribute up to 75% of its free cash flow to shareholders. We didn't expect this to to start until next year, but last month they moved up the timetable and started paying it almost immediately. Based on what they paid last quarter, the stock's got a 5.2% yield, although it should be higher than that based on the company's cash flow estimates for the next five years. Plus, Pioneer's got some great assets in the Permian Basin that are worth a lot more as long as the industry remains disciplined. About production management, like at Devin, is fantastic. Scott Sheffield, the CEO, is one of the brightest lights out there. Cares about the environment. Number three, Diamondback Energy. This company used to, Fang. This company used to be one of the most aggressive drillers out there. Yet last Thursday, they told us they're going to return. 50% of the free cash flow to you, the shareholders, starting the fourth quarter, either in the form of buybacks or variable dividend. For the moment, Diamondback prefers buybacks. They just announced a $2 billion repurchase program because they think the stock is way too cheap. But once it goes high enough, management says they'll roll out a variable dividend instead. Since then, this thing's been on fire. It's got more room to run. What if these independent exploration production outfits are too risky for you? And I get that. Let's say you want a stable dividend that's actually out of cash. You know what? Then you've got Chevron. That remains my favorite. Even when I hated the oil complex, I still like Chevron. It's just that well run. Always has been. Not only are these guys disciplined about production, they've also gotten religion on climate change, spending $10 billion up from $3 billion to find ways to cut carbon emissions. Last week, Chevron held its energy transition event where they laid out all of this in great detail. It was fantastic carbon capture, hydrogen power. They really like that. Sustainable aviation fuel, renewable natural gas from methane. We spoke to CEO Mike Worth last week, and he told a terrific story about investing in earlier-stage energy technologies that could potentially produce big returns. I think that's a better use of the money than renting more oil rigs. Plus, in the meantime, Chevron's paying you to wait with its bountiful and safe 5.4% yield. Where's the real deal? Someone said to me after he said, uh, where's the greenwasher." Don't you know that? I was going to slug the guy. I really was. I was going to slug the guy. I said, did you even bother listen, J.P. Morgan downgraded the stock because they think he's spending too much money on keeping the energy of his company clean. I should hit him, but I don't do that anymore. Finally, we've got a bunch of smaller, special situations that might be worth your consideration. There's Denbury Resources. Oil producer declared bankruptcy last year. Not a credit. But it's since emerged as a major player in carbon capture and storage. Exactly the kind of thing Chevron's spending a fortune on. Next up, you've got Tellurian. Hey, you know that one, right? Sharif. Sharif Suki, liquefied natural gas. Export play. Building big terminals uh, you need to ship this stuff overseas. Little dollar stock. That gas is much more expensive in Europe and Asia. You need to freeze it if you want to transport it by sea. And that's why Tellurian up 175 percent for the year, and a quick 13 percent since we just spoke to founder and executive chairman, uh, Mr. Suki, last week. Last but not least, let me give you another one that's kind of a mixture, a little bit of Chevron, a little bit of the other guys, ConocoPhillips, COP, announced they're buying Royal Dutch sells assets in the Permian Basin for $9.5 billion. Now, I love this situation because it was a forced sale. According to the Netherlands rule, the Royal Dutch needs to cut its carbon emissions by 45 percent before 2030, which is why Conoco can buy all that egg, Permian, Permian acreage for a less than it's worth. I mean, think about it. What they did was they say, all oh, right, we got to cut, we gotta cut uh, con- uh, carbon. Hey, we'll just give it to Conoco. And then they cut the carbon and Conoco wins. Plus, World Dutch hasn't exactly been a good operator in the Permian, whereas Conoco's pretty well run. So I think they can do a better job with these oil rich assets in Texas and I wish Conoco would come on our show. I, you know what? They just boosted the dividend. almost got a three percenter. Bottom line, now that the oil industry has learned some discipline, I think prices could stay elevated for a long time, which means the rally in the oil stocks is probably, even though it's been amazingly this year far from over and you should welcome any of these into your portfolio how about we go to Stuart New York Stuart hey Jim how you doing Stuart couldn't be better thank you it's a nice day what's going on yeah really On the in the market and outside of the market Yeah. Uh, let's talk oil and gas which is I think hot that's topic a good idea nowadays. let's do that okay. uh, serious shortages around the whole
4: world in natural gas And one stock I have,
2: EQT, seems very, very undervalued. Do you think this baby takes off? I like EQT very much. Pittsburgh-based, we used to have them on all the time. Don't know what happened. I think it's a very good stock. I also want to tell you that I like Cabot, though. You want pure gas? you go with Cabot. I've been to see the rigs. Rather nice. Can I speak to Mark in Iowa, please, Mark? Booyah to America's stock market dad who gives us sage advice about investing. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I need that today. I've been at war now with people. I'm going to win a war because I don't start one unless I'm going to win. Six and Stones may break my bones, but that's why I carry nuclear weapons. I've been under a little bit of attack, so easy. this is nice to hear some good. Let's let's go to work. Okay. I'm also an AA Action Alert member. Yes. And, uh... Listen to the whole call today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know. That was a tough one at the end. but (laughs) Yes, it
3: was. (laughs) Uh, Okay. With no utilities in the portfolio at about $11 off its 52-week high. Right. And it has a
2: 3.58% dividend. Is now
3: the time? And would you recommend AEP, American Electric Power?
2: Nick Aikens is so good. You know what? Mark, if you had, if I had read your question today for the conference, I would have had to say yes. What am I doing? You know, interest rates were up really big today, so I was hoping to go down. AEP is such a remarkably-run company, and by the way, very environmental. And it's only the states that have kept them from building more wind facilities. The states, not them. Because it's rocks. Okay, we got a whole new dynamic in the energy space. With the industry's newfound self discipline, I think prices could stay elevated for a long time, which means you should own one of these names. Hey, $3. Great. Oh, totally spec. Nice yield, good assets. Fastest growing. Whoa, oh, Sheffield's a dean. Mike Worth is brilliant. And Rick Moncrief, what a helicopter ride. All right, much more man money ahead including my exclusive with Engage Smart. Hey, uh, could this morning's IPO be a smart opportunity for investors looking to get in on the software space? I've got the exclusive. Then the semiconductor shortage has become one word. Insane! So I'm revealing what our business and government need to do to correct the problem after today's chip supply crisis meeting at the White House. I'm right. Maybe if they listen, they could be right too. How about that level of arrogance? And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with... Kramer The fast and furious IPO market just keeps going. We've had an insane number of deals this week and they're done surprisingly well. I mean, look at what have we been seeing with these things like toast. Regular viewers know that I worry about the new stock supply created by these offerings, but I can't deny that some of these stocks deserve a closer look. So let's talk Engage Smart as a software as a service company with a whole suite of different platforms that came public with a Bang today. Stock price at 26. Finished the day at $34.12. I can see why the buyers couldn't resist. This company's got fundraising software, electronic billing software, healthcare-oriented software that handles patient engagement and electronic health records for individual practices. Put them all together and you've got a nice business. 59% revenue growth. Solid profitability. Unfortunately, Engage Smart's now far from cheap. These levels of trading substantially more than 20 times sales, but profitable cloud place? I'm mean, almost impossible to come by. Even if you don't like it, you're certainly worth a closer look to figure out. Maybe it comes in for a little pullback. Let's check under the hood with Bob Bennett. He's the founder and CEO of Engage Smart. Mr. Bennett, congratulations on the deal. Welcome to Mad Money.
3: Jim, great to be here. Appreciate it.
2: Okay, so let me cut right to something, Bob, that maybe will put things in context. What does it mean when you say this shouldn't be that hard?
3: Well, we consistently run into opportunities to improve the customer experience. You know, if you're trying to make an appointment, you pick up the phone and you make a call to a healthcare professional, leave a message. They call you back while you're on the phone, they leave a message. You go back and forth playing phone tag until ultimately you're able to get somebody on both sides and align your calendars. We replace those types of things with a simple online calendar where you can select your appointment, hit submit, get an immediate confirmation, a reminder the day before and a calendar invite that you drop right in your calendar and the option to take that, that appointment by telehealth. That's the type of thing Or pay a bill online and receive a bill online and you know, eliminate paper, eliminate the pay, you know, paper checks. Those types of sort of low value interactions between a customer and the customer's client.
2: I got a parking ticket recently when I was in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, and I literally said, now what the heck do I do? I mean, like, do I pay it? Do I not pay it? What do I do? I sent it to my assistant. She goes, I don't know what to do. I said, call Doylestown. They didn't call me back. I said, well, listen, you know what? It's a week gone by. Maybe they'll forget. I mean, no, this is America. This is what happens. You solve these problems.
3: That's right. That's right. In the city of Boston, as an example, we actually uh, attend to the online payment of those uh, parking violations. Now, I don't put the violations on the cars, Jim. I am just in the receiving mode trying to simplify the process of paying those. But we do we do have a lot of tickets that do get paid through to the city of Boston through our service. Can I Venmo? We actually provide Venmo, PayPal, PayPal, uh, PayPal uh, credit. Uh, along with credit, you know, all the
2: credit cards, you know, Discover, MasterCard, Visa, American Express and so forth. Well, I want to make sure that people understand this is not a software platform. This is a family of software platforms. So for those who say, listen, they're up against Salesforce or I don't know if I want to touch this one because they're Bill.com. The fact is, is you've got multiple businesses going and they are growing very well.
3: Yes, they are. Uh, Our simple practice uh, solution, which is based in Santa Monica, has over 110,000 clinicians using the solution. uh, And they're literally healing the world one patient at a time through uh, mental health professionals like, you know, social workers, uh, marriage counselors, substance abuse therapists psychologists but also a physical therapists nutritionists dietitians a very large group of uh, speech language pathologists and we're really they're they're doing you know, we're eliminating their administrative burdens and allowing them to focus on their customers and their clients and giving them the gift of time to focus on their business without the paperwork everything from patient intake through uh, setting up appointments online all the way through the electronic health record uh, Insurance claims adjudication, billing and collections, 100% paperless.
2: Now, what happens with the money you get, the stock you have? Because I think that there's a lot of different verticals that need rationalization that are really just kind of out there for you to pick.
3: You're, you're exactly you're exactly right, Jim. We're even in the existing verticals that we are in today, and those adjacent to us, we're at less than one percent of market share, and we believe we have the the best true SaaS, meaning single instance, multi-tenanted solution available in our vertical, serving our verticals. So we have, a, a, you know, and we're committed to long-term product leadership in those verticals. We're at less than 1% of market share. We're a little over 200 million. So we've got scale, we've got profitability, and we've now got a, a lot of more resources to continue to innovate, to maintain those, that product leadership. Because if, if we don't disrupt ourselves and obsolete our own solutions in our markets, someone else is going to. So we're paranoid about it every morning.
2: I like that. Now, I, I did. I was a lawyer at one point in my career. You're supposed to ask questions, always knowing the answer. General Atlantic is a huge, huge sponsor, biggest investor. How much stock did General Atlantic sell in the deal? Zero. They're are
3: they're they're, they're they're with us for the long.
2: Well, General Atlantic has made a lot of money for people who follow along. Almost every stock I've ever recommended that they've done has made a fortune for people. I don't think this is going to be any different. I want to thank you so much, Bob Bennett, founder and CEO of EngageSmart. What a great company. Thank you for coming on, and congratulations. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I'm so tired of money-losing companies that I have to say I like because they're hot. You know how great it is to have a money-making company with such good background, and it's been around... Did that seem like a fly-by-night? No! It's a real company. And you know what? It's about time. A lot of the stuff that's coming public, I can't recommend. Man, money's back in. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to
1: all your burning questions. The lightning round is next.
2: And then the lighting runs. Are you ready? Let's keep that down. The Let's start with Al in my home state New Jersey. Al. Good evening, uh, Jim. This is Al from uh, Scotts Plains, New Jersey. Scotch Plains. Good we beat them the four straight years when I was coaching. Four straight years. Okay, go ahead. Big shout out to the Summit Diner. Thank you. I love those guys. You like uh, that, man? List. All right. Uh, I bought a stock that you recommended a while back, Dynavax Technologies. Uh, but, yeah, well, it's good. I mean, you know, I, it's immunos. It, it, look, I like these little immuno, uh, drug stories, including allergies, and I should have given it to Jimmy at the diner. My bad. Best fries in Jersey. And, may I just make a point. I got to tell you, the corned beef hash to die for. Bob in Illinois. Bob! Hey, boy, boy, Jim. What's going on? Uh, a while back, I got into uh, Nucor. I wrote it up about 10 points when it started to
3: attack, you know.
2: Yeah, but Nucor is coming back. I did a talk today and I told you that I think that the only thing that's going to earn $22 this year and 11 next year is probably going to earn $20 next year. Stock sells at five times earnings, should sell at 10 times earnings. That means you're going to get a double ah. buy, buy, buy. If you hold on to Newcore. I really believe that. I know most people don't. Can I go to Gary in Connecticut, please, Gary? Thank you, Jimbo. Thanks for taking the call. Unloved Ameren. A M R N. Now, this is, you know, it's a niche, but, okay, let's just describe this. This is a $5 stock that might get a bid or might go to zero. And that's how you have to look at it. Interesting risk reward. And that, ladies and gentlemen, including people from New Jersey who are going to go to the Summit Diner, is the end of the. Lightning Round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Right now, we've got all sorts of problems that are tangled up with our increasingly hostile relationship with China, supply chain disruptions, port congestion, and the defense of our allies in the Pacific. Right now, President Biden's holding a big summit on these issues, but I think our whole approach is ridiculous worse, I can predict how this meeting will go. All the business leaders will listen intently to each other. Then Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger will make some grandiose statements because he thinks he's the king of the industry for the entire semiconductor group, as though Intel's still the most important player in the business. While the big guns will be there, too, everyone from Ford and GM to Samsung, Apple, Microsoft, Micron, and Taiwan Semi, I think almost everybody involved, unfortunately, is on the wrong track. Sure, the White House is trying to include $52 billion in the budget to start manufacturing semiconductors here in America. But it's been all talk for ages because the industry wants the U.S. government to pay for as much as possible. They won't start spending until they know they can get a check from Uncle Sam that's no good. Congress can't even pass a deal to fix bridges and tunnels. How are they going to pour billions into an industry that's already got deep pockets? If the chipmakers wait for Washington, we could be waiting for a very long time, and that's just dangerous. As I see it, there are two approaches that can work here. First, these companies can recognize that if 20% of all the container ships are stuck waiting to unload their cargo on West Coast ports, that means the logistics crisis is endemic, and they should stop hoping for a quick fix. There's nothing we can do about congested ports in time to help these industries with in the next two years. That means we need to adjust to a new reality where it's much harder to get goods from point A to point B, especially microchips. That's why I think the companies that need semiconductors should just plan their own manufacturing facilities to end the madness. The chips they need are so low-end versus the high performance chips that it's hard to imagine an independent manufacturer embracing them and the margins are too low. You need a collaboration, say, between Ford uh, and global foundries, or GM and Taiwan Semi, making older chip... By the way, a global Clowney makes older chips for the military in upstate New York. It, it, that could work. Look, Ford just lost $2 billion in sales thanks to the semi-shortage. For $2 billion, they could build a low-end semiconductor plant like the Intel factory in Israel that I visited that has almost no employees whatsoever and makes plenty of wafers. Once you realize the chip shortage is here to stay, you have something that you can do about it. Either the industries that need these chips find a way to make it their own, or they start designing dumber products with a lot less semiconductor content. Not dumb, retro, full feature. So what about Washington? Someone in the room needs to explain that this situation has gone from supply chain madness to defense desperation. Taiwan Semi makes most of the simple yet vital chips that we need. Forget the auto industry, the military need these chips too. Which is why I'm wondering, why the heck is this a civilian issue? We should treat it like a defense issue. Biden wants $52 billion to set up semiconductor plants. He should stick it in the military budget. Again, the clock is ticking. The Chinese government obviously wants to take over Taiwan. And while they probably can't do that without setting off World War III, they can absolutely make like difficult for Taiwan's economy. China knows it needs ships, too, which is why they're trying to buy lots of machines from ASML Holdings, a Dutch company, to manufacture stuff. You really need these things. They're like big $150 million buses. Uh, but our government's blocking that transaction. They're worried Taiwan will cut them off. We should be worried about Taiwan being cut off. That's why our government needs to start getting serious about building semiconductor foundries as soon as possible. Hey, By the way, where are the generals and admirals and this stuff? Can they be so obtuse? Instead, I expect this meeting will happen and there'll be no change. Most of the chips we need will continue to be made in Taiwan or South Korea, the two countries that are most vulnerable to China. Meanwhile, I expect the Chinese Communist Party to keep taking over little islands in the Strait of Taiwan while they try to destabilize Taiwan's democratic government. That's what they're good at. Look at what happened in Hong Kong. If we keep doing nothing, then in two years this chip shortage will get a lot worse. We'll either have no chips or the price of all electronics will go through the roof. The semiconductor market's not going back to the old normal unless we take action. But unless our leader change course. I don't see that happening. They just don't get the seriousness of the situation. Washington, it's not about cars. It's about weapons. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I am you to find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.